each week. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What an exodus. <laughs> uh, are you glad to be in the house today with the saints? Where there's unity and the oil of anointing flows freely when we come together under the same purpose and goal. I want to talk to you today about the priority of his presence. We are living in the last days and there are multitudes who profess Christianity but they don't go to church on a Sunday out of the priority of the presence of God. They go with a consumer mentality. I wonder what will be done for me today by somebody, the very few in number, who would serve. If I don't get anything today, I might be just done with that church. Consumerism. Whereas if we come with the same goal and the priority of the presence of God... We are met in a special way by his presence that not only dwells within us, but is magnified among us in the person of the Holy Spirit when we have our priorities straight, right? We make ourselves available to him, and he, he does show out. He does show out. And uh, he shows out in the form of the spiritual gifts that are manifested in the gathering of the saints. By the way, there are some trying to say that the spiritual gifts are for the bar rooms, but they're not. They're for the gathering. They're for the gathering. Where two or more of his people are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. And they're intended to be a demonstration of the reality of his life and presence in those who believe in him. That's not to say you can't function in a gift outside the gathering, but the main intention of those gifts is the gathering. This is not in my notes. I'm just freelancing at the moment because I feel the need to. The way you know that for the gathering is when they teach on the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Paul says when you are assembled together. Right? And he begins to instruct them on the gifts of the Spirit and how they operate and things of that nature. Where? When you are assembled together. It's been reported to me that when you are assembled together. Right? Well, I promise you the Corinthians were not going to the local bar to assemble. Okay? They had a location that they assembled in as a church. And when they came together as the church with a goal in mind, they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their meeting. In fact, before I even begin this message, I want to make it clear that the litmus test for a valid church in the time of the apostles was they visited the, what was called a church and they were looking for evidences of the Holy Spirit in the meeting. And if there was no evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in the people in the meeting, which, by the way, was not just being happy, it was according to the gifts of the Spirit in Scripture. And when they witnessed that, they said they bore witness that the grace of God was upon them. 
What does that mean? The favor of God is upon them. They got the same favor. The way they knew that the gospel would go to the Gentile nation was when Peter went, you remember, to Cornelius' house. And, and as he's speaking, they all begin to break into speaking in tongues. And so Peter immediately says, what forbids these Gentiles from being baptized in water just as we were, seeing they've received the same gift we got? It was a validation of the reality of their salvation. That they could receive the promised Holy Spirit in such a manner. And so they were given the rite of water baptism, which is entrance into the church primarily is one of the things that said that. And so here they are, they're Gentiles, and Peter's got to go back and be confronted by the Jewish brethren about what he was doing in a Gentile's home to start with. So he gets interrogated, right? And he tells the story of what happened, and they're like, well, okay, it must be okay then. How is it okay? There was evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, in our family, we have a Christmas tradition. Every Christmas Eve, we like to watch a Christmas carol with George C. Scott. Amen. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> I, I love the opening scene as a funeral carriage somberly makes its way down a foggy, busy 1800s London street. And the narrator breaks in and says, Old Marley was dead as a doornail. And this must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come from this story I am about to relate. Jesus was as dead as a doornail. And after three days, he rose from the dead. And that must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come from what I'm about to share with you. Before Jesus was put to death on the cross, he said things to his disciples in order to prepare them for his departure. In John 16, 5 through 7, we find some of these words of Jesus. If you have your Bible, you can go there. If you have the church app and you don't have your Bible, you can press the Bible tab in your app and look it up there. He says in verse 5, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, he's asking that question with a bit of surprise, it seems. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus said a lot more than this to these guys. He told them that they would be persecuted for being his witnesses. He said the things that he had spoken that they were struggling to understand would be made clear. But only after the Holy Spirit, the helper, came to them. He said, quote, it is to your advantage, end quote. 
Now imagine how that must have come across to these guys who had left everything to follow him. I mean everything. They'd given up all. They'd been filled with wonder and amazement by watching how he did what he did and how often he did it. They loved being with Jesus. Could you really hang out with Jesus and not have a blast? Jesus had been with them daily, but Jesus understood something that they did not yet comprehend. They couldn't understand it. They needed the same person of the Holy Spirit who was helping Jesus fulfill all righteousness and accomplish the Father's will. Thus it was to their advantage that Jesus depart. Because if he did not depart, if he would have chose to stay, the Holy Spirit would not have come. Jesus was prioritizing the presence of God in their lives by promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's fullness. Ephesians 3, if you read there, you'll find where Paul is saying in Ephesians 3 that you may know the love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God. Basically, what he's saying, what Paul's saying is, When you've learned to love Christ so much that you trust him and you understand that he's the baptizer in the spirit, you will receive the fullness. It will not be complicated for you. It'll be simplified. Jesus is prioritizing the presence of God. The presence of God is manifested by the Holy Spirit. Now, if the coming of the Holy Spirit was to the advantage of men who had personally been with Jesus and were called his friends, how great of an advantage might the Spirit be to us who have never seen Jesus? If these guys had trouble understanding and comprehending the truths of the kingdom... Personally, with Jesus, think about that for a second. They're physically with Jesus and struggling to comprehend the matters of the kingdom. They needed the Holy Spirit. If they were to get anything about the kingdom, they needed the Holy Spirit. And the same is true today. Without the operation of the Holy Spirit in your life, you might think you know some things about the kingdom. You probably heard them and you're parroting them. But you're struggling to live in the fullness of them. It's a struggle to receive, accept, and walk it out. But God wants you to be able to receive it, accept it, and walk in the fullness of all that He is. It's his gift to us. It's your privilege. He wants you to have it. You know what I'm saying? Now, a key emphasis of the ministry of Jesus involved the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist prophesied it beforehand when he said in Matthew 3.11, Indeed, I baptize you with water to repentance. 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Think about that. What did baptism at the Jordan look like? Full immersion. Submerged over, over your head, the water went. And then you came up drenched and wet as a, basically a representation of you had died and you had come passed back through into life is the idea. The idea is that your sinful past is gone. You're a new creation. It's a foretelling. It's a prophetic foretelling. That's what water baptism was. The other thing that it's foretelling is, is that in matters to, of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit is to immerse you. That's how you know that when you truly experience the Spirit, it's overwhelming. I have never met anybody that didn't go under the water that did not realize they were overwhelmed by the water. If you stayed there too long, you'd be afraid of dying (laughs) under that water. That's what happened to me when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. My prayer turned from I'll take whatever you have to God, please stop or I am going to die. I was scared to death I would die. It felt like electrocution to me. Got up the next morning, went to church and was moving in the gifts of the Spirit. No, I didn't even know there was such a thing. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I was moving in ways that were in the Bible, but I never knew they were in the Bible. And if somebody asked me something about it, I had an answer that would be from the Bible, although I'd never read it in the Bible. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired men to write the scriptures. He knows what he said. And he was operating in me. And so I was able to quote scripture without having read the scripture. Supernatural. Supernatural. The disciples had seen Jesus alive after his death. And he taught them for 40 days before he ascended. And I believe that after seeing him alive and being caught up to heaven, that they would have been ready to tell others about him. How much you want to bet? And I believe that that is why Jesus commanded these guys to wait in Jerusalem. Now, now go with him, me here. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And look at what Jesus says to these guys, his departing words. Being assembled together with them. I love that. Yeah. Assembled together with them. There's something about when you assemble together with him. You know what I mean? Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Now, if these guys were merely afraid, as some ministers do suggest, and they needed a dose of boldness, why would Jesus need to command them to wait? He wouldn't have to say a word. He's going to have to command them to get out, not wait. But in this case, he's commanded them to wait. They just spent 40 days with the resurrected Lord. They're ready. In their minds, especially Peter, isn't that the characteristic of Peter? What are we waiting on? Let's get with it, you know? I believe Jesus did not want them trying to minister without the promised Holy Spirit. Even when he sent them out by 70, he was able to invoke upon them a temporary blessing of the Spirit. You'll recall, you read it in the Gospels, and he blew on them, and they, they were overwhelmed by the Spirit and went out in the anointing of the Spirit and preached. And they cast out demons, and they healed the sick, and all that, and they proclaimed the good news that Jesus had come. But interestingly enough, after that moment in time had come to a conclusion, they couldn't do it again. Read your Bible. The young lad who was thrown in the fire and the water, and the father's begging and pleading for assistance, and they couldn't do anything about it. The same guys that had gone out and seen the sick healed and the demons cast out of people. Couldn't cast a demon out of this little boy. Why? Because you can't do things without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You can mimic it. You can get on the stage and try to play the act. But like the sons of Sceva, you can be exposed for what you really do possess or you don't. Are you hearing me? Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're supposed to have all of this authority. How are you supposed to know a believer? Well, they will cast out demons in my name. In my name, they will heal the sick. In my, he gives you a, a basic, you know, a discerning tool to know what a believer looks like. Why? Because a believer is expected to develop in the love of Christ so fully, they're wide open to the Holy Spirit. And by being wide open to the Holy Spirit, they're moving in the authority they've been accrued or given or imparted, imputed by Jesus himself. And they can take authority over situations and circumstances. It's not a big deal. Are you hearing me? My first experience with a demonic was through an aunt of mine who was into witchcraft, and we had to go into an apartment complex in Atlanta, Georgia, where she lived. And I didn't know it at the time, but the entire complex was filled with witches. Nobody was allowed to rent an apartment there unless they were part of the coven. Let me just say it was a couple of interesting nights there as a 10-year-old boy. I witnessed things that scared the bejeebers out of me. Seriously. We went through things with her trying to get rid of her witchcraft uh, trinkets and books and stuff that called out the town's sheriff's department and freaked them out. 
They were all Baptist, had never seen anything like this in their lives. One of them got scared and left. So my first exposure to anything supernatural was on the enemy side of the coin. Boy, that'll live on with you. You know what I'm saying? She did get set free, praise God. But that experience stuck with me. That there's something more than just what we see with our eyes going on in this world. I praise God that she got set free because she encountered some believers who were closet spirit filled. <laughs> right? Because if they were openly spirit filled, they'd be kicked. One of them got kicked out of our Baptist church. And what unbeknownst to me as a boy at that time, there was a, a, a Bible camp ran by Mickey Evans just outside our town. And, uh, I mean, people were coming from all over to that Bible camp and getting filled with the Holy Spirit, starting to move in the gifts of the Spirit, and people were getting saved and delivered from demonic spirits. And I mean, there was such a move of God just outside our town, and some of our folks got touched by it. But that was the only Baptist church in town. So they kept it under wraps. It was a great little Baptist church. But that's the one thing they're not going to tolerate. You can, now if, now if the Baptist church, which is the most evangelistic organization there is, nobody is more passionate and committed to going out to win the lost than the Baptists are. Come on. That's what they're known for. I mean, they'll be at, they're like the postman. Neither rain, nor sleet, nor hell, nor snow will keep us from knocking on your door and telling you to come to church. Come on. But Jesus did not want these guys to go out thinking that they've got it all together already without the Holy Spirit. Now, when he says in that verse of Scripture, you have heard from me, it's all you need for proof that Jesus spoke often to these guys about the coming of the promised Holy Spirit. It was a major topic. The Holy Spirit is important, saints. The good news was and still is to be advanced with practical evidences as well as power. You know what you have to resort to when you lose the power in the church? causes nothing wrong with them nothing wrong with going out loving on people and doing good things nothing wrong at all please don't say I said that but there is a difference in trying to influence people by giving enough money or enough food or enough clothes or enough housing or enough cars or enough this or enough that Enough flowers, enough, oh, you're wonderfuls. Versus ministering to people in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a distinct difference. 
And it's not because if you minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, you all of a sudden become mean. He's not mean. <laughs> He's not hateful. He's not obnoxious and unruly and come on. You might still feed the hungry. You might still. Okay, you see what I'm saying? But you're doing it. With not, you're not relying on that to win or influence someone's heart. And boy, isn't that what's happened to the church in these last days. We need the Holy Spirit. The presence of God involves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit expresses the power of God. He should never be expected to change who he is or set his power aside just to meet with us. Oh, you're welcome, Holy Spirit, but check that other stuff that you bring with you at the door. Don't you bring none of that other kind of funny, you know, that stuff makes us feel a little bit uneasy. See, if good news is only about a morally changed life, how does that help the person who's lived a decent moral life and can't see their need for change? The gospel's for everybody. A morally decent person, and there are such persons, isn't moved by a message that is only about change from a life of immorality to one of morality. I already feel like they're living morally. This is why religious ideology is dead and lifeless, saints. If it, if it doesn't focus on the value and the privilege of the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit, it's dead and lifeless. The goal in the mind and heart of God was to fix things so that the Holy Spirit could come and dwell with believers. The aim was and still is God's presence. It was and it still is God's presence. If the goal of good news is reduced to behavioral compliance, it has lost its power. And you've got people that think they're such powerful preachers because they can tell you how nasty, dirty, raunchy, and filthy you are. How bad a sinner you are. We all know how bad a sinner we are. But they're in, in their imagination are their most highest anointing when they're telling you you are wretched and miserable. Nasty, dirty, little stinking things. Not deserving of anything. The fires of hell should be kissing the bottoms of your feet right now. And if they get really going, ha! And they're moving so fast, ha! They can't remember the next word they want to say, ha! I've been in places that if you preach that way, you could say, peanut butter with chunky nuts in it is from hell. And they'll say, amen, brother. 
Might even wave a hanky. Serious. It sounds crazy, but it happens. I have witnessed it. Not peanut butter, but I mean, totally off gospel topic stuff. (laughs) That got to somebody. (laughs) If we reduce the goal of the gospel to something of moral behavior, Behavioral compliance, it's lost its power. But the gospel says, the scripture says the gospel is a power of God unto salvation. Salvation from what? (laughs) Thank you, sister. I appreciate that vote. It's the power of God unto salvation. Salvation from what? And just what does power of God really mean? What does it mean? She's getting overwhelmed over there. That's what that is. <laughs> salvation, saints, is the rescue from the spiritual death and separation caused by sin. Power of God means the real gospel by heavenly definition is supernatural because it involves the power and presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. The power of God under salvation gospel is not mere information. It is the conveyance of information under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. The difference in man-centered gospel and the true gospel is the presence of God. Man-centered gospel will tell you he can forgive your sins. That's a good thing because then you'll get to go to heaven. And I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. That's the goal? Where's the presence of God? Where's the presence of God? The true gospel reveals the presence of God is available based on what Jesus accomplished at the cross and has been planned in eternity past. He didn't devise this methodology that he put into play, this plan, over the history of man. He made it before man was even created. And it wasn't just the father making the plan. The son was involved in the plan. And the spirit was involved in the plan. By the way, if you don't believe in Trinity, Trinity doctrine, then you think that what happened at the River Jordan at Jesus' baptism was an act of ventriloquism on the part of John the Baptist. Come on, brother. Because the son is standing in the water. The father says from heaven, maybe it was John the Baptist. Come on, that didn't happen. Everybody heard it. So you got the sun in the water, 
the Father thundering from the heavens, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus. Three, and each one of those are God. Singular. Now, for a long time, the church was content with saying, yeah, the Father's important, the Son's important. Who's that Holy Spirit? <laughs> In essence, that's what it is. If I visited your home and you have three kids, <laughs> no, let's do it this way. Because now they're making welcome mats with the picture of their pet on it and says, I live here, I'm part of the family, you are not. Please respect that. <laughs> so I come into your, your, your house and you have your pet and a kid. And I'm like, you know, I'll acknowledge this one, but I ain't acknowledging that other one. You're offended with me. Because you invited me to meet all your family. All that is considered your family. And if I don't show any interest in all of your family, it's as if I showed no interest in your family, period. I was asked when I was very young in the ministry to launch family small groups in the church we were sent out from. And the reason they asked me is they said, why don't you come to a small group? And I said, well, I have kids, small kids, can't afford babysitting. What am I supposed to do? You don't allow kids in the meeting. And they said, that's right. All of our small groups right now are adult only. I said, well, if my kids aren't welcome, neither am I. And that's how we ended up launching family small groups in that church. <laughs> yeah. Man, they were glorious. We had some glorious gatherings. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit moving. But you know, if my kids weren't welcome, neither was I. That's the way it works. So like somebody saying, Tim, why don't you come to dinner? Okay, my wife and I will be there at 630. Well, no, just you. I'd be like, well, thank you, but I'm busy that night. You know, how is it so simple to take these natural things and deduce how ridiculous it would be to carry on that way? But then when it comes to the persons of God, we struggle. We struggle. The true gospel does not exclude any of the members of the Godhead. It recognizes the desire of the Father to have many children he might enjoy fellowship with. It recognizes the completed work of Jesus to make it all possible. And that fellowship with all three is made real by the person of the Holy Spirit until the appointed end of time. The gospel reveals each member of the Godhead as being essential and does not marginalize any of them. The Holy Spirit is given equal importance in the gospel, the real gospel. The disciples believed in Jesus before Pentecost came. 
They spent 40 days with him. They were eyewitnesses to his being alive after his death. They did not need to be convinced Jesus was alive. And they did not need to be convinced that they should be his witnesses. They were ready for that. They were eager to see the kingdom established. That's why they're asking, at what time will you come and restore the kingdom? They're eager. What was it that they still really needed before they would know they have his presence with them after Jesus had departed and they were going out to represent the good news to the world? The Holy Spirit. That's what they needed. The Holy Spirit was not optional in the preaching of the original gospel. The Holy Spirit was not treated as an afterthought by the early church. And when it was time for the Gentiles to be included as being part of the church, the apostles needed to witness something in order to accept it. What did God determine it would be? The manifestation of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says, we shall know no man any longer by the flesh, not any longer know any man by the flesh, but rather by the Spirit. He's not saying, I'm trying to figure out what his character is. What he's saying is, I'm looking for the anointing of the Holy Spirit on this person's life. If you were going to convince one of the apostles that are in the scriptures that you're a true follower of Christ, you better have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you didn't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you were considered not of the Lord. That's how they did things. Today, as long as you can say the right things, you're okay. If you'll just be faithful at church, you'll be okay. He didn't save us for this. This is a precursor to the, to the glorious fellowship of his presence. We shall all partake of there. That's what this is a representation of on the earth. It's not just a church meeting. It is an opportunity to participate in something that the Lord established to prepare us for what will be our eternity with him. It is the operation of the Holy Spirit that is the evidence of the presence of God. It was the evidence of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit that told the apostles things were legit. This is why the gifts of the Holy Spirit are important to the church. And they testify to the presence of God with believers in Jesus. In fact, Paul would say about tongues, even though the Corinthians were out of order with it, he would say that when you, when you speak in tongues, an unbeliever in your midst... You know, he may, you may be speaking praises of God, you know, that form of use of tongues. He thinks you're kind of crazy. But if you're prophesying in tongues, he's cut to his heart. 
Because he's being, all the secrets of his heart are being exposed by the Holy Spirit. When that prophetic tongue comes out and interpretation flows on the heels of it, things are being exposed. What? Truth concerning God. The fact that he knows all things. All these things are being exposed. And the unbeliever has to say, Paul says, God is in their midst. That was the testimony of the early church. That if somebody unsaved came in, they should see such an operation of the gifts of the Spirit, their automatic conviction would be, God is in this place. Come on. Now, I can go to a dead church, and I can stand, and I can sing, and I can do everything, and because I have the presence of God dwelling within me, and I'm there for one purpose, and that's His presence, I can feel the presence of God in a dead place. I can go... I've been in, in, in funeral homes when I did environmental work, and they could have cadavers on a table, and there's death in that room. But I don't feel dead. I feel very alive because I am alive. I don't walk into that dead room and say all of a sudden, I must be dead. I walk into that room with death, and I say, I'm alive. Praise God, I'm alive. Now, I'm not recommending dead churches for that reason. I'm just saying you can know the difference. You can know the difference and should know the difference. And not make the mistake that just because you're feeling all warm and fuzzy in a moment, that must mean that this church has everything it needs. No, I'm looking for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit when I'm in places of gatherings with believers. Anybody getting healed? Anybody getting delivered? Anybody getting saved? Anybody prophesying? Where did the tongues go? I'm not afraid of them. I've already told you before, a couple weeks ago, never heard tongues used in a bar when I was visiting them as a lost man. Never once did I ever hear anybody speaking tongues in a bar room. Never at a rock concert did, did they ever sing in the spirit. Never happened. Never witnessed it one time, but I've seen it in churches. And I've been in meetings where the singing in the Spirit goes on and on and on, and before long you can hardly even stand up. The presence of God is so thick. We need to spend a little more time less afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants to do and more eager to let Him do anything and everything He wishes to do because He's trying to tell us, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. And I'm going to help you. So let's wind this thing up. Jesus said something really, really important about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming on a follower of him that should never be ignored. Never. And it's in that, that verse, of, verse 8 of Acts 1. He said to the disciples, you will receive power. Dunamis. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The power spoken of here is supernatural power. It's more than just an enablement. It will enable you, but it's more than that. It's a tangible power that overwhelms. 
And when truly believed and received, the Holy Spirit is powerfully felt, and the one receiving does not need anyone to reassure them they got it. Any more than I have to reassure somebody when they know they're saved that they got saved. You know that you know that you know. If you don't know, it's time to get it. (laughs) I know that what happened to me when I finally got to a church that taught on the gifts of the Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit and the preachers preaching that night about it. And I look at my, my friend and I say, that's what happened to me. Wow, that's in the Bible. Wow. That's what I got. That's so cool. That's who keeps stirring me in the job place to give words of knowledge to people, to pray for sick people. That's what moves me to tell somebody they can get rid of that deep. We just cast it right on out of there. I didn't go to school for it. If I had gone to school, they wouldn't have had a class on deliverance. They don't do that. Come on. When you get the Holy Spirit, trust me, you know it. You know it. The Holy Spirit is the active glory of God and the flow of his power to create, alter matter, change hearts and minds, and enable us beyond our natural abilities according to the will of God. Those who prioritize God's presence partner with the Holy Spirit in his effort to make known the reality of God's available presence. The reason it matters so much is you're trying to tell people that Jesus loves them and he died for them. He paid for their sin so they can have a relationship with the Father. Well, how about manifesting the presence of God to them so they can see how sweet this would be? Uh Uh-huh. One final story, and we'll wrap up. I was selling insurance door to door. I'd have to travel to different territories in the region to do it. And I was headed up uh, 75 north to the Jellicoe area, and there was a guy hitchhiking on the side of the road. I felt the Holy Spirit say, pick this young man up. I stopped. The young man gets in the car. He starts to open his mouth. I said, please don't say anything. I picked you up because God wants to speak to you. I'd start driving off before he can get the door open. I did this. I, this is how I did things. <laughs> I still do sometimes that the opportunity provides itself. So I, I got him in the car, and he, and he starts to talk again. I said, I told you, I told you, don't say anything. The Lord wants to speak to you. And so he said, okay, okay, go ahead. So I'm like, Lord, I just told him you want to speak to him. You got to give me something quick. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking. You got to put something in here fast. So I look at him. I said, your family is in Michigan. Just outside Detroit. He said, yeah. I said, you've been in Miami, Florida for the last four years. He said, yeah. How the heck you know this? You know, he's getting nervous. And I said, you've been in, in Miami for the last four years because you had a fallout with your family. Your dad wanted you to pursue a particular thing in college. You didn't want to do it. You want to do your own thing. You guys had a fight. You left home. You went to Miami. I, it just starts coming. Yeah. Just like a river. 
This guy moves from nervousness to he's weeping in the passenger seat of my car. Literally weeping. I get to the end of what I have to tell him. Sheila can testify that. I told her immediately when I got home that day what happened. I get done telling him everything that the Lord is showing me, and, and I, I look at him. He says, he says, how can you know this? I said, I can't know any of this. I just met you. <laughs> I've never been anywhere near your home. or I don't, I, There's no way I can know any of this, and I'm not a psychic. So um, I said, the only way that this can be known is the God who loves you has revealed it to me because he gave his son to die on a cross and pay for your sins so you can know him too. And he says, how did I know this, God? I mean, if he, if he knows that much about me, he must really love me like you say. I said, he does. Oh, trust me, he does. He said, I want to know him too. We prayed together in that car. I'd gotten to a place I had to get off the highway. As I was getting ready to let him out, I gave him some of my Christian tapes couple of tracks I had in my glove box and this guy literally got out of my car and was skipping and twirling <laughs> going away from my car up the shoulder of the interstate rejoicing in joy Holy Spirit now I could have picked him up as a kind gesture where you headed found out a whole bunch of information and he claimed to know something. Wouldn't be the same. You know when somebody's speaking to you under the anointing. You know it. The Lord wants to partner with us in these kinds of matters. Now, I'm not saying that every single one of us is meant to pick up a hitchhiker. In fact, I don't recommend it in, in these times. You better really be moved by the Holy Spirit. If you try to go there, okay? And sisters, please don't. <laughs> but he wants to partner with us. And when we have the Holy Spirit and we know the love of God and the love of Jesus, and we don't think that the third member of the Trinity is somehow different in character to them, and so maybe we ought to be a little more careful with him, he likes to put us at risk. He's like that fun uncle I had. <laughs> Come on. Don't think that way. He's not going to pull you into anything. He's not going in with you. He'll go all the way with you. When you have the Holy Spirit, you're activated supernaturally. And those who prioritize the presence of God believe and expect to receive on the basis of belonging to him and being promised the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you, being evil, can be good fathers and give good things to your kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give to those who ask him the Holy Spirit? And Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. See, if you're convinced he loves you, he's not dunking you in acid. He didn't fill the tank with boiling water. The fire he's speaking of is a fire that transforms your life in a way nothing else can. And it makes you a participant in supernatural things with the Holy Spirit according to the gift he gives you.
Can you receive this this morning? Oh, man. I'm excited about what God is up to in these last days. It says that where sin increases, what increases all the more? Grace. This world can never outsend the grace of God. <laughs> He's not going to be able to do it. And he's just looking for some of his kids to get some revelation and just surrender themselves in trust to the Holy Spirit. Can we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we're asking right now that you would begin to move upon our hearts in a powerful way according to the power and authority of the Holy Spirit who brings revelation and understanding and cause us to see the things that we've been blind to with regard to his operation in our lives. Lord, if there's anything gone on in us, maybe a bad experience with somebody who claimed to be under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it could be any number of things, just like we struggle sometimes with earthly fathers who mistreated us. Father, I ask you by the Holy Spirit, overcome all that. Just overcome all that. And just allow your children in this place to be recipients of all your fullness and goodness manifested in the person of the Holy Spirit. Lord, raise up men and women in this place, boys and girls in this place, who are profoundly moved by the Holy Spirit in their life, who have revelation beyond their years because of the Holy Spirit opening up the pages of Scripture in a way they never could have done it on their own. Lord, deliver from all the barriers in the natural that have been pressed upon us, Lord, as human beings. All the experiences and all the other stuff that factors into the equation, strip it, strip it away. And let us see with clarity, Lord, how good you are, how loving and caring you are, and how you want to give us everything that you have for us. And, Father, I ask that there would be many filled with the Holy Spirit in these last days. Many delivered from demonic oppression in these last days. Many saved into life from death through faith in Christ Jesus in these last days. And many able to pray for the sick and see them healed. Lord, the miracles, the signs and wonders, we, we don't seek those as opposed to you. But we know that where you dwell, these things occur. And so, Lord, we just look for that, that there be such a fullness of you in our midst. Because, Lord, we want you to fix our priority and our purpose to be that we are here for nothing other than your presence. Amen. Amen. It is your presence that moves us to come together. And so, Lord, I pray that you stick that into our hearts and lock that value upon our minds. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you're here this morning, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you've heard this message and you believe it's for you and you want it, you can get it. It's not hard. It's a gift, just like everything else. You can come, you can get it. If you're sick in your body and you need healing, you can come and we can pray with you and you can be healed. If you've never met Jesus Christ and you've never truly, truly been able to confess him as your Lord and Savior, you've never been born again, he's here. His saving power is here this morning. Please come. We'd like to talk with you. 
So if anybody needs any kind of prayer ministry along those lines, you're free to come. If you need prayer ministry outside those lines, you're free to come. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll dismiss you at this time. We look forward to seeing you again. Ladies, don't forget, you got a ladies' meeting Saturday. Men, Sunday the 13th. That's this, sun, this next coming Sunday is our men's meeting at 5 p.m. in the fellowship hall. we got another one. So that's Sunday night at 5 p.m. Hope to see all you guys there. Hope to see you ladies get together. God bless you guys. We love you.